AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. And as usual on Tuesdays, we are joined by Patrick Kulikan, who is the editor-in-chief of the Minnesota Reformer, great resource for the latest in Minnesota news and politics and lots of in-depth reporting over at minnesotareformer.com. As today, we are going to be taking a look at some under-the-radar things that were signed into law and passed by the state legislature that you may have missed because there are lots of big-ticket items that, of course, were passed by the legislature, but there are a number of things that you may not have noticed that uh, we're going to be talking about here with Patrick uh, that uh, will also have a big impact on the lives of Minnesotans. So thanks so much for coming back on the show. Good to have you on. Always a pleasure, Brett. Absolutely. So uh, as you were going through and uh, and looking through uh, in some of these bills and some of these provisions that were passed that people may not have been paying attention to or may have been floating under the radar, how did you kind of go about doing these? I, I, I'm sure I'm not picturing you just like reading bills every single night. Was there some sort of process where like you were tipped out, hey, maybe you should take a look at what's in here or talking to other writers? I'm just kind of curious how that process works. Yeah, I think uh, throughout the session, um, we were alerted by uh, sources, uh, interest groups, and so forth um, about things that were moving through the legislature uh, that for us, in any normal year, we might have covered. But uh, this year was just different because they were doing so many big, momentous things. Uh, And so some of these uh, smaller items that were nevertheless pretty, that were significant, uh, didn't we weren't able to cover them as we didn't have time. Uh, and then after the session, um, you know, we were getting, as the sort of dust was was settling, we were getting indications that there were really a lot of these uh, provisions. And so I kind of did an open call to reader in my newsletter, which you can sign up for. It's free on our website. And I said, you know, does anybody, if you see anything in legislation, you think maybe deserves a uh, notice and hasn't gotten covered at all, let me know. And um, I, I asked our reporters uh, to, to do their own work uh, on their own kind of beat areas. And so we just collected all this material and it turned out there was uh, a fair amount of, of stuff, really good stuff, I think. And that's my personal opinion. Most of it's really good stuff that just didn't get much coverage. So it was a, it was a fun process. Um, and, um, and I, I hope that we were able to shed some light on it. Well, let's start off with a big political issue, because as we may remember from uh, prior to when the DFL had control of the state Senate, Governor Tim Walls had a tough time getting many of his commissioners confirmed. In fact, a number of them were actually removed from office a few years ago. But as I understand that the legislature actually changed that process where not only are more commissioners now being confirmed, it could be a lot more difficult to do the kind of hostage taking that we saw Republicans do in the past, where basically they were saying something along the lines of, well, we're not going to confirm these commissioners until we get so-and-so. So what exactly ended up changing with what the legislature uh, passed on how commissioners are now going to be confirmed in the future? Yeah, so the uh, the, the process for confirming commissioners is, is in statute. Uh, the legislature makes those rules. And what they've essentially said now is, uh, either uh, you you take action in 60 legislative days, and that has a specific uh, legis- statutory meaning, um, or the, so the Senate takes action in 60 legislative days. If they don't take action, the commissioner is automatically confirmed. And so it just this ends this process by which uh, the, the a commissioner 
is is appointed and yet just sits there in limbo. I mean, there are, it's not like Washington where uh, they don't actually start working until they get confirmed. Here they actually are in the job, but they're not confirmed. And it's just a recipe for bad governance because uh, I, I think it must be a little harder to recruit candidates for this very important job if they know that they're just going to be sitting out there and if the Republicans have the Senate or, or if there's a Republican governor and it's a Democratic Senate, um, the person um, could be sacked at any moment. Uh, I, I don't think that's a, a recipe for, for recruiting top talent to serve as commissioners, which is a really important job. Uh, and then I also just don't think it's, it's fair to the person um, who is trying to, uh, the, the, part of the job definition is to, they're working for the people of Minnesota, but they're also trying to, they're trying to further the governor's agenda, um, but they're also having to, if they're not confirmed, they're always kind of looking over their shoulder at the Senate and wondering if they're going to get fired if they take some action, which um, might be necessary. Uh, I, I think Republicans um, in the la- during Walz's first term, when they refused to confirm uh, hardly any of his uh, commissioners, you know, they took a page uh, from the Washington real partisan brawling uh, playbook, it's it's bipartisan in Washington, but but uh, they they kind of decided well, we're going to play that way here, um, and uh, I think the degree to which uh, we can keep that out of Minnesota politics the better, um, and and they still have the power to to, to not confirm someone. Uh, they just have to do it in 60 days, which I think is uh, very reasonable. So this is a, a, a good government uh, provision that got passed this, this session. Yeah, and that's a good point to bring up that, yeah, if the Senate is controlled by the opposite party of the governor, yeah, they can still remove those commissioners. They just have to do it within 60 days. So all of a sudden you don't have someone sitting there trying to run an agency where, well, you could have that position for anywhere from two weeks to maybe even two or three years, just depending on the political whims of what's happening at the state legislature. So yeah, with you there, that that is probably a good, uh, uh, a big, good government reform. I uh, wanted to talk about some other uh, things that were in the piece that you wrote again, uh, titled over at minnesotareformer.com, the Easter eggs, the good stuff the legislature passed you may not have heard about. I want to get your thoughts, too, on a few you want to highlight. But uh, one that caught my eye has to do with renters possibly having an easier time getting access to their money that they, well, used to get from that renter's credit because uh, that was sometimes a little bit complicated for people to get or sometimes they might have forgotten to get it since that deadline is in August and not traditionally when you file your income taxes. But I understand that is going to be changing uh, coming up in the future and making it a lot easier for renters to get access to uh, some of those refunds that they are eligible for, correct? Yeah, we're one of a handful of states with uh, a a renter's credit. Um, The idea is that we give a a property tax credit and renters are uh, a portion of their rent is presumably going toward property tax, and so they all ought to get something. It's also a nice redistribution tool, um, especially in uh, today's economy where housing shortages and therefore uh, housing costs are a real problem for people. So we, it's good that we had this renter's credit, but not enough people were really taking advantage of it because you had to get this, you had to have this form uh, that you would get from the landlord and then you would uh, file it in August, um, 
you know, I, I may have been eligible at some point uh, during my time here and, and I don't, but I don't remember getting it. And uh, it just didn't make any sense. I mean, if you, if you want to have the credit, then we should design it so that people will actually take advantage of it. And, and we actually should want to put money in the pockets of renters. So um, they've just changed the process. So it's no longer a separate thing that you do. You get the form and then, uh, then you get a tax form. You get the special form and send it in August. Now it's just part of your tax return, and so you'll get, you know, if you're if you're doing the tax saw, the standard tax software, they'll they'll ask you a question: Are you a renter? How much are you paying rent? And then it'll determine right there when you're doing your taxes if you're eligible for the renter's credit. If you are, you'll get it, and it just simplifies it, and a lot more people are going to get it, and and uh, the legislature. Uh, you know that a lot more people are going to are going to get it because they had to budget a lot more money for it uh, because now a lot more people are are going to uh, are going to file it and they're going to get it um, and so when we heard a lot of coverage of you know, the tax rebate and uh, the, the the income tax rebate is and is it too small and Walls had promised something larger um, this is a, a major factor uh, that. I don't think people have really thought about is that this is um, more money that's going to go into people's pockets. It won't be next year, but the year after. Absolutely. Uh, I, I was in that boat too when I rented. Yeah. Where you can sometimes forget you even are eligible for those, for those uh, rent, for those renters credits. So this will certainly uh, make things a little bit easier. Uh, one more area I wanted to highlight that you wrote about has to do with some changes to those school levy campaigns and referendums. As I understand it, those could largely be a thing of the past because oftentimes people are uh, never thrilled when they have to vote on those school referendums. So what exactly is happening with these? And well, could they largely become a thing of the past thanks to what happened at the legislature? Right, so the school district uh, will introduce a property tax levy to raise money uh, for the district. Uh, they have to they get it passed via referendum. It's a uh, it's it can be a a time consuming um, and energy sapping process, um, but that's that's part of the deal. I think we understand that if you're going to uh, raise people's taxes, they ought to have some say in it. The what this does is it uh, prevents you from having to run that same referendum campaign 10 years later uh, instead of that you can the a, the school board uh, can simply um, approve uh, the as long as it's the same amount of money uh, they can approve that property tax levy for another 10 years um, and and so you don't have to go through that whole referendum process again um, and um, as Senator Matt Klein I think has some experience on school on school board uh, told me uh, anybody who's, who's spent time on a school board as well as the administration the teachers uh, parents they they all uh, kind of look at in dread at those referendum campaigns and and having to and they, they in, invariably they pass so you're just spending it's just a lot of angst and time, energy, money that you're spending on, on a campaign. And uh, this way, one, is a one time only, the school board um, can uh, continue that levy for another 10 years. Um, as, as, I, as I said, uh, if you don't like it, run for the school board. 
Absolutely. And uh, I'm thinking back to when we did some uh, midterm coverage here at the station back in like 2018. Uh, one of our other hosts actually broke down like where these school referendums were passing and failing. And basically, the more rural you got, the greater chance to that, well, those school referendums were going to fail. Or basically in the metro, it was pretty much a given that they were going to pass. So that could provide a lot of relief to, well, some of the outstate districts, even more so than some of the areas in the, in the metro for school funding. As we have a few more minutes, mm-hmm. I'm curious, uh, what else kind of caught your eye in terms of some of these Easter eggs that uh, people may have missed during the session but might have a big impact? I know there's a lot of different directions we could go. Uh, where are you kind of thinking? Um, what were some other big provisions that were passed that you were that you were thinking people uh, might have missed? Yeah, I have a, a, a special uh, contempt for uh, payday lenders who prey on uh, poor people and get them into this kind of uh, treadmill uh, of debt. Um, people have a hard time getting off and, and they charge these really exorbitant rates of interest uh, once you annualize them. Um, to me, it's, it's an extremely exploitative uh, business model. And um, we, the legislature has capped the interest and it's probably not going to put the industry out of business, but it will certainly stop the growth. And, uh, you know, I think that's a it's a really uh, a strong protection um, for consumers. And um, I think in, in most years it would have been a big deal. Um, but this year kind of uh, flew under the radar as part of the big commerce bill. Um, so I was certainly uh, happy to see that. Um, I think um, that we've kind of um, going to force uh, MnDOT to uh, consider climate impacts when they decide to uh, expand the highway. Um, I'm uh, not a huge fan at this point of uh, highway expansions. And so I think um, forcing MnDOT to, to consider climate impacts is probably a, a good idea. Um, I think that, uh, you know, this people might think this is just frivolous, but the, the the seal and the flag um, are uh, a real missed opportunity um, to to brand Minnesota to the rest of the country, um, and the current seal and flag is um, pretty racist and uh, a visual mess beyond that. So um, I'm excited they did this. Uh, I, I really think that they, this would never have happened without the trifecta because you this would have become this some dumb culture war uh, fight. So I'm glad they're doing this. Um, it's also, they're doing it pretty quickly. It's not some drawn out thing. So um, those are a few of them. But, you know, I think we, I have a whole section in here about criminal justice changes that are, you know, fairly small, um, but uh, uh, they add up to kind of changing the system to become less punitive. So they, um, I think one thing they did that was, important uh from a process standpoint they they didn't really uh it's 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 been common in the past to use the clock as a negotiating tool and i i think that was something that um both speaker melissa hortman and majority leader carrie dietzik decided they're not going to do that we're just going to get in there start legislating um you know if you're opposed to something uh let's let's cut a deal here and uh, and get this stuff done that, that needs to get done. And um, I think they ought to be applauded just from a process standpoint. 
Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to miss those nights of uh, getting those huge omnibus bills like two hours before the session is set to adjourn and then saying, hey, now we got to vote on this. Yeah, I think that's probably in a probably an improvement to the process of uh, yeah actually getting these things uh, passed on time so people can uh, see what's in the bills as well. Well, make sure you check out what's in the rest of uh, what's in the rest of what we were talking about. We didn't have a time to hit up. Didn't have time to get to quite all of the sections and Easter eggs that were kind of passed at the state legislature that flew a little bit under the radar, but you can find those over at minnesotareformer.com, minnesotareformer.com, as we have been speaking with Patrick Hulican of the Minnesota Reformer. Uh, Patrick, as always, thanks for coming on the show today. It's always a pleasure. All right, let's take a break and send things back over to Todd Mickelson on AM 950.